basketball player or a singer. I don't know, say someone like David Schwimmer, you know, from Friends, or Morgan Freeman, big fan of Morgan Freeman, he's great. Uh, if you're a Liverpool supporter, Mo Salah, maybe, yeah, fans, no, I don't know, fans in the house. Or a singer like Dua Lipa, you know, I don't, I don't know, I'm not down with the kids these days, so I, I don't know who's, you know, like, contemporary these days. Or whoever, it doesn't matter, whoever. Um, imagine, so you know all the facts about their life. You know when they were born, where they were born, uh, where they went to school, the favorite hair gel, maybe, you know. You might know their favorite perfume. <laughs> You may know their favorite places to eat, and so on. You've seen all their films, and you even think that Friends is one of the best TV shows ever. So you've, you know, you've seen it all. You might know everything about them, but would you say that you know them? Probably not. You probably wouldn't know them, though I assume you might like to know them. And what would it take for you to know him or her? rather than just know about them. So let's take football, for example. Yesterday, I think it was yesterday, was the FA Cup final. I think it was the Liverpool-Chelsea. That's right, yeah, Liverpool-Chelsea. And I was just watching little bits of it, you know, to see what's happening. And you could just feel the tension when it came to like, the penalties, the fans biting their fingernails, like, come on. You know, it, was, it, was, it was intense. And I was watching it, and I, you could tell definitely that there are people in the stadium who would know crazy amounts about certain players. They are like super fans. They, they would know everything about the athlete. But like I said about two minutes ago, you may know everything about that athlete, but it's quite different being a friend of that athlete. You can read articles. You can memorize the stats, how many penalties they scored, how many goals they've taken in a school, how many corners, whatever. You may know all the stats. You can collect memorabilia, you know, they touched this towel and I got it, or whatever it is, you know, you may know everything about that person. But do you really know them? And me, for my own personal example, my life, uh, I've got two kids, so I, 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 do, I go on the school run. I go to the school run, I walk my kids, you see some parents, you go, hello, good morning, morning. Lovely weather, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you kind of, you, you know, you nod, you know, and, and you get on. But do I really know the parents? I, I, I don't have a clue. I don't know who they are. I don't even know some parents' name. That's how bad it is. I have to ask Sarah because Sarah's like in the WhatsApp group for the mums. So Sarah, who, who's this? I'm like, oh, this is so and so. So I don't know who they are. I have no idea who they are, even though I may have seen them. I may have nodded to them but I don't know who they are. And in our passage tonight, we are looking at John 14 and, uh, uh, and, and, and what it means to know God. So we're going to unpack that conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples, and then we are going to look upon that and see how then we too can have a relationship with Jesus and, and, and see what the Bible says about how we go about having that relationship. Um, so just some background information before I read John 14, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples, and we, in, in John 13, he's comforting them, actually. Actually, in 14, he's comforting them, but in 13, he is talking to them about uh, the new commandment 
and what is going to happen. It is the time of Passover, and Jesus knows that his hour has come, and he's going to go to the cross, and he's going to die. And so in this chapter, in 13, he tells the disciples what is going to happen. And now we come to 14, and are a tad bit confused about what's happening. So I'm going to read 14. It should come up on the screen. There we go. Um, so I've got a different Bible tonight. I don't know why, but I do. Um, so it'll be different translations there. But here we go. Um, so John 14 says this. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you, if, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. In verse 8, Philip said to the Lord, Lord, show us the father and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the father. So how can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. So like I said, Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples and he's trying to comfort them about what's happening. He tells them that he's going to go away, and he's going to prepare rooms, mansions for them. And they're like, what? Well, they're a bit confused, really. Um, they don't quite understand what's going to happen. In the previous chapters, uh, Jesus tells Peter that he's going to deny Jesus three times. He says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Peter's like, no. He's like, yeah, you are, three times. In that same chapter, Jesus looks at Judas and says, one of you guys is going to betray me. People are like, what are you talking about, Jesus? You, you know, we don't understand what you're talking about. What are you on about? And so in this passage in John 14, Thomas here, speaking for all the disciples, asks Jesus this question. We don't know where you are going. Jesus, we have no idea what you're talking about, and we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? That Jesus, show us the way. And so Jesus responds with this, I am. He says, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you have seen my Father as well. And so from now on, you do know him and get this. You do know him and you have seen the Father. She just says this, I am saying. And still, the disciples don't quite get it. Philip then jumps into the conversation and says, we want to see the Father. Jesus, we want to see the Father. And, and I'm like, Philip, have you, have you just not heard what Jesus said literally 30 seconds ago, that if you have seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. And so Jesus says, it's what he responds to what he does. He says, how can you ask me this, Philip? 
Don't you know that you have, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father? And in this passage are some important words that I want us to stick onto. Jesus says, don't you, this big word here, believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. And again, the big word here, believe me, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least, and again, that word, believe on the evidence of the work themselves. In a short space, in a short time, Jesus uses that word believe three times to push the point across that he and the Father are one. That Jesus makes it clear that there is no other way, that there is no other way to the Father except through him. And he is the only one that saves. I was thinking about this, and even in our day-to-day, there are many people who think they know Jesus, who think they were saved. And even in the, in the Bible, we read that there are people who thought they were saved, people who thought they knew Jesus. Many people, all so-called disciples, we read, did these marvelous things, they, uh, marvelous thing in his name, thinking that that was enough to get him saved. They did miracles. We can do miracles. We, we, we can cast out demons in your name, Jesus. We, uh, we can speak in tongues. We can prophesy. We can dream dreams. We can do all these marvelous things. But it's not enough. That is not enough to know Jesus. That is not what it is to know Jesus. And he tells his people to be gone from him. I never knew you. He doesn't know them. And so you may say, well, Nick, then, how do I get to know Jesus? That's where my two-pointer comes in. So there's two points. So how do we get to know Jesus? The Bible tells us a few things. So we're going to just unpack that a bit. The Bible tells us that only those who do the Father's will and who are known to God will enter heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. So this leads us to a question, another question. What is the Father's will? Those who do the Father's will will inherit heaven and go to the kingdom of heaven. And so therefore, what is the Father's will? There's this story in the, in the Gospel of John where some people come to Jesus after Jesus has fed, fed the 5,000. And so they come to Jesus after being fed and they ask Jesus, Jesus, what must we do uh, what must we do to do the works that God requires? What, 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 sh- what do I need to do to do the works that God requires? And so Jesus says this to them. He says in John 6, he says, This is the work of God, that you believe in the him whom he has sent. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So that is the Father's will. If you track back, it says it. The will of God is to believe, to, the will of God is to send Jesus and that people, us, may believe in Jesus and that is the way we come to the kingdom. And so the Father's will is simple, is that we believe the one he has sent. And who is the one he has sent? Jesus is the one he has sent. God wants us to have faith in his Son. God wants us to to see Jesus as our Savior. This is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. 
We are called to believe in Jesus. We are called to see him as our savior. And I think one of the problems in, in, in today's society is that uh, there are so many people, so many thousands of people who know about Jesus. They know some facts about Jesus. They've, they've Googled Jesus. So they know some ideas about Jesus. They've maybe gone to, to theological uh, college and you know, they're theologians. They know about Jesus. They might have committed to memorize some scripture in their heads and they know about Jesus. They even attend church and they think they know about Jesus. But they have never allowed the facts about Jesus to become their personal reality. They may know about Christ, but they have never allowed the knowing to shift into becoming a personal living reality where they know Jesus. They may hold the knowledge in their heads, but they haven't allowed that knowledge to penetrate their hearts and to change into something completely new. Jesus explained that issue. He says, people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teachings are of human rules. We need to believe that Jesus is the son of the living God and move from head knowledge to heart knowledge. And I just want to kind of track back a little bit to, um, to those disciples who, who came to Jesus with these, uh, we, we did some things in your name, demons in your name, you know, we're doing some stuff in your name, Jesus. Um, but when Jesus spoke to those disciples, to the uh, wannabe disciples, and to say disciples, and when he said, I never knew you, it's because I honestly believe he never recognized them as his true disciples. He never recognized them as his friends. He never had anything in common with them or approved of their methods. There were no relations of his. Christ did not dwell in their hearts. They did not have a renewed mind, like he says to have a renewed mind. And all these ways and more, Jesus never knew them. He doesn't know them. And it's not that Jesus is breaking off relationship here. He's not breaking something that is. There never was a relationship. So you can't break off something that never was. So he says, well, I don't know you. Not because, well, I knew you, but I don't know you. I, I just don't know you. Who are you? And despite their high-sounding high uh, uh, fervor and, 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 and zeal, they had no intimacy with Christ. They didn't know Jesus. They didn't allow maybe head knowledge to transpire into becoming something else deep down in the core of their being and change into heart knowledge. No intimacy. So my second point is this. To know Jesus is to develop a continual intimacy with him, to, 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 to develop something that is living, active, and that continuously moves and changes, an intimacy with Jesus. Um, and so when I was thinking about this, Tom and I were just touching base about this and thinking about it, and, and I came up, we came up with this thing that proximity with somebody doesn't mean intimacy. Proximity, how close you are, like Wendy and Paul, how close you are to somebody doesn't mean intimacy. It doesn't. To be physically close to someone in the presence doesn't mean that you have an intimate relationship with that person. I was in school and I had teachers. I don't have an intimate relationship with them. We were in a proximity. proximity. They're my teachers. Proximity doesn't mean intimacy. Let's look at the disciples briefly. There were 12 of them. They spent three years with Jesus. 
but one of them didn't really know Jesus. And actually, even the 12 sometimes looked a bit silly. They're like, like, do you really, do you, Jesus was like, do you, do you have so little faith? Have you, have you not got this yet? So I, I wonder, they, they still didn't quite fully understand Jesus. Three years, they ate where Jesus ate, they slept where he slept, they went where he went, but one of them really, truly never knew Jesus. Judas really never truly knew Jesus. He never really allowed him into his life. And so that's why I say proximity doesn't mean intimacy. Being close to somebody physically, living in, in, in the same kind of place doesn't mean that you know them. It's not, it's not coming to church that means that you know Jesus. It's not singing a few nice hymns that means that you know Jesus. They are great. They are good things to do. They are wonderful things to do because I know you know I love it. But it doesn't mean that you know Jesus. The only conduit, the only way, the sole way and primary and chief purpose to know Jesus um, is to know Jesus, sorry, is to be in communion with him. The only way to be intimate with Jesus is to be in a relationship with him. That is it. There is nothing now for Jesus full stop. If we don't know Jesus, we are not in a relationship with him, and so therefore we don't know the Father. And that's what Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It is through him only that we get to know the Father. There is no other way. And the Apostle Peter echoes the exact same sentiments where he says, there is no other name under heaven by which mankind must be saved. Only Jesus. And when a person truly accepts Jesus, believing in him, it's a growth relationship. They spend time together. They pray. They talk regularly. And when we know Jesus, we also know God. So it turns out then, it's not a matter of knowing things about Jesus that count, but it's more a matter of the heart. So I'm just going to wind down um, now, and then I'm going to invite the band up in the next few minutes. So in conclusion, how can we know God? How do we know God? To know God is to know Jesus. Well, then how do we know Jesus? And it's simple as this. The book of Romans says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and again, that word, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You must believe. You must believe that Jesus is Lord and he has risen from the dead to pay for your sins and to pay for mine. And until we make him the Lord of our lives, facts do us no good about Jesus. There is a difference between our intellectual thinking of Jesus and saving faith. Knowing, knowing Jesus means that we have to accept his sacrifice. We have to ask him to be Lord of our lives. We identify with his death and consider ourselves to have died with him and then be rose again in newness of life. And we have to accept his forgiveness and the cleansing from sin and develop an intimate relationship with Jesus. It is the only way. To know Jesus is to know God. He is the face of God. Jesus is the living reality of God. Know Jesus and you know God. Know him intimately and you know the Father intimately. I want to end on this. 
At the beginning, I was talking about facts you may know about somebody. But let me just give you one more thing, and then we can, do some, we can start worshipping together. Say your favourite movie star had green eyes and had a dimple in her chin. There are mainly facts until you see her face to face. And then when you meet her face to face, you'll see those green eyes looking at you. And you see that dimple from her chin shift to her cheeks when she smiles. She tells you about her days, her fears, her, her, her convictions, her heart. And you may recall that the facts you've read about her before, you are now experiencing them in a new light. What you thought you knew, you were now experiencing into something completely different. What you knew about her, you now know her. The abstract is becoming concrete. Things you thought you knew start to make sense as you enter into a personal relationship. Let that be the same for us as we come to Jesus. Amen. Um, when the songs were playing, um, there was that song that was playing, I forgot what it's called. Um, waiting here for you. Waiting here for you. And there's a part in the song where it says, Waiting here for you with our hands lifted high in praise. I love that part. Just waiting here for you with our hands lifted high in praise. Just that, just waiting for the Lord to speak to us. And what more intimate way is there just speaking to the Lord, just waiting for him to speak to us. And I, and I was praying, and I just felt, I just want to raise my hands. And almost saying, Jesus, here are my hands. Just, just speak to me, Lord. Come and touch me, Lord. Have your way with me, Lord. I want to do something a bit different. And I want to... To do this with you, I want to invite you, if you feel comfortable, to just lift your hands to the Lord as we sing, and maybe allow the band to sing over us as we have our hands out, reaching out to the Lord and saying, come Lord, just have your way with me. You come, I come before you, Jesus, with everything that I am, all the good, all the bad. I want to encounter you. I want to be in an intimate place with you, Jesus. Is that okay? Can, can we do that? I, I know this is kind of pushing the boat a bit here. I, I just, I just, I don't know. I just feel, I just feel that that's what God wants to do, just to spend time with us and just encounter us as we pray and as we worship. So you can sit if you want. You can stand if you want. Um, I'd love if, if somebody stands with me and just uh, just cries out to the Lord, waiting here for you. Yeah. yeah. Just just stand if you want to stand. You can just start putting out your hands out and just. <laughs> 